Hello and welcome to Everybody Pulls the Tarp. I'm your host, Andrew Moses. With me today, a very, very special guest, Dr. Dawn Graham. Welcome, Dawn. Thank you for having me, Andrew. It's my pleasure to have you. And, and for my listeners and viewers, Dr. Dawn, uh, as she's commonly known on her radio show on SiriusXM, Dr. Dawn on Careers, is the uh, Director of Career Services at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania for the Executive MBA program, author of the book Switchers, which we'll, which we'll talk about, TEDx speaker, career coach, licensed psychologist. What don't you do, Dr. Don? <laughs> Well, um, I've, I've never played professional sports. So. <laughs> well, we uh, we certainly talk to a lot of pro athletes and Olympians and, and, and CEOs and best-selling authors on this show. Uh, what I'm really, where I really want to start with you is, is early in your career, because you and I have a common thread. Uh, early in my career, uh, I started working for one of the big four accounting firms and about 13 months in, I was laid off during one of the uh, during the economic crisis of 2009. I know early in your career, you were laid off by one of the big accounting firms as well. For me, um, as I think about work ethic and my career and and myself as a leader as a, and as a teammate, I I always go back to that moment that I got that that infamous phone call about the layoff, and it it has served as a great motivator. Uh, it's it's something I've always thought about throughout my career, and and it 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 frankly altered the the trajectory of my career. What about you? Um, when you get that call about the layoff early in your career, how did it impact you? Yeah, I think it's hard for something like that not to change your complete outlook on the idea of job security, and that even if you are with a top firm that and you're performing well, that the economic conditions or now a pandemic can really wreak havoc on your your career trajectory. So I think for me at the time, it actually inspired my entire career as it is now. I realized really quickly that I could not tie my success to one brand. I realized, and it was Arthur Anderson for people who are, are wondering, and it was the Enron scandal. So now we had a firm that unfortunately had a negative reputation and I had a strong internal network. We were just talking about networks earlier and I'm still friends with a lot of people I worked with at that firm 20 years ago, but I didn't have a strong external network. So what I started realizing is that job security comes from within and I did not want anybody I knew to feel like, like I felt at that moment I got laid off. I felt stuck. I felt like my career was going so well. I just finished my master's degree and, you know, was getting good performance reviews and just like that, there it goes. So I wanted to create a situation both for myself as well as my clients and people who follow my work to set it up so that you never have to worry about the economic conditions and their impact to your career, but that you always have a skill set, a brand and a network that could help you get to your next step. So let's let's talk about that a little bit. So you're you're one of the nation's leading career coaches. And you talk to, to folks all the time about strategic decisions that they're making about their career. And you and I have talked about this show is called Everybody Pulls the Tarp. And it's based upon a philosophy that I have that great teams and great organizations are powered by individuals who contribute in unexpected ways, way outside the boundaries of their job description. So from your vantage point, as you're working with 
the professionals that you work with and coaching them from a career standpoint, what intangible skills, you know, is, is the modern, is the modern hiring manager looking for, right? I mean, obviously you, you have to have the fundamental technical ability to do the job, but I'm wondering what else is there? So I think we're seeing a lot of research on this. Emotional intelligence has been at the top of that research for a number of years. And that's because relationships, being able to collaborate, being able to cooperate, even with people who share different values or come from diverse backgrounds. These are really important skills to have as we're going more global, as technology is more integrated into the workplace. So I think that that is first and foremost, number one, really being able to interact with a variety of people from diverse backgrounds across a number of functions in a way that's cooperative and gets the work done. I think another one that we're all experiencing right now and is going to be critical to the workplace of the future is agility or adaptability. What we know is the pandemic has only accelerated what was already happening. And what was happening is a lot of shifts in the workplace in, in not just industries, lots of new industries, lots of industries going away, lots of roles becoming what we're seeing hybrid roles. So you have to be a generalist and a specialist in order to get things done. You have to understand data, you have to understand different technologies, and it doesn't matter what your role is. This is infiltrating all roles. And so companies want people who can come on board and can morph and shift and grow with the changes that we're seeing in the marketplace. So that might mean also continuous learning. It's not enough to just get a, a degree and then go on with your career for the next 20, 30 years. We're going to see a lot more people upskilling, reskilling. And so this cycle of education and learning is going to become more important. So companies are looking for people who are hungry to learn and adapt and grow as their business adapts and grows. What's interesting, and, and and I've observed the last few months, specifically during the pandemic, is you know I'm I'm typically one of those that likes to be out there, um, extroverted, having conversations with people, learning from others. And what's been interesting is you talk to folks that are more introverted, and they say that this has almost leveled the playing field, uh, in in many ways because it's 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 eliminated a lot of that um, social and relational activity. Now. I think it's almost the opposite. I think it's almost elevated the importance of of, of the relationship building um, and forced you to be creative, adaptable, as you described. What are your thoughts on that? Is has the pandemic accelerated the need to to elevate that relationship building game? So I'll speak as a complete introvert that um, yes, we we are in an extroverted world. Extroverts get rewarded for speaking up, showing up engaging and often introverts are the ones kind of hanging in the background. And I've always believed that relationships are core, if, if not the most, then one of the most important aspects of your career. But I also know that there's a lot of different ways to do it. I did my dissertation on how extroverts and introverts approach networking differently in the job search. And I think that there are a lot of ways that we can do it that are comfortable for us. So, you know, people often have this perception about networking, being walking into a room of strangers and introducing yourself when it's not that at all. Quite honestly, I believe that that creating ambassadors is what I call it in my book, but it takes two things to be successful at networking. The first is 
you have to build trust. You have to have a relationship with somebody where they're willing to spend their social capital on you. The second one is they need to know what your goal is. And I think this is where we fall down. In my TEDx talk, which is titled Your Next Job is One Conversation Away, I talk about how we actually all already have a very robust network who cares about us, who wants to see us succeed. But the problem is they don't know what our goal is. They may know we need a job, but that's not a goal. A goal would be something very specific, such as I want to use my programming skills to impact the future of health tech in the area of diabetes. And these are the top three companies I'm looking at. And so when we start to share these goals with our network, we start to see that they all have second level contacts in their own circles and they bring information back to us. They introduce us to people in their network, which expands our network. And personally, as an introvert, I think that's one of the most successful and comfortable ways to network that we can all start doing today. So you talked about the, the it's, it's a great point, right? Because in many ways, the, the networking requires you to do things way outside what you're what you're used to, right? It's the networking is that extra, that little extra effort you do, that extra email, that extra event you go to, that extra connection you form. A lot of a lot of the folks that have great networks, really, in my opinion, have just tremendous work ethic, right? They've got great work ethic, and they've they've got innate leadership abilities um, and, and and a unique ability to connect with people. What what in your mind, you know, makes makes somebody a, a successful networker? I think it does take discipline, which is what I think you're referring to, Andrew. I think you do need to make it part of your habit. Too many people attach networking to a job search, and so they flip it on and off like a switch. And I think it needs to be more like a muscle. So more like when you work out, you can't work out one day a month and expect to get stellar results. And so you mentioned taking the extra step. I think we can all do that pretty easily. So for example, if we're on a webinar, instead of just, you know, closing the computer or, or you know, flipping the link to the next channel as if we're watching a TV show, pick two or three people on that, that webinar in that meeting that you want to connect with. Reach out to them on LinkedIn. If it makes sense, maybe you ask for a quick phone call so that you can deepen that relationship. But I think those are the opportunities that make people great networkers is taking advantage of opportunities that are ready right there in front of them. So let's start transitioning a little bit to the to the other side, right? The, the folks that are making hiring decisions that you certainly have a great lens into as well. So in many ways, right, like the, the way you can network and the way you can build relationships, in my mind, is a very good indicator of how you're going to perform as an employee, right, or as a team member. You're, are you resourceful? Are you able to, to build strong connections? Are you able to, you know, I always say in networking, you know, am I giving more than I'm receiving, you know, to my, you know, different relationships? I want to always give more than I receive. And, and I think that, you know, goes to some of the the core aspects of work ethic that we talk about on this show and going above and beyond and pulling the, the proverbial tarp as I, as I call it, what, so, so how are hiring managers and organizations identifying future leaders, right? Again, like going back to what we talked about earlier, you can look at certifications and you could look at, you know, technical skills, but how do you go identifying whether somebody is going to be, you know, one of your future leaders in the organization? So it's interesting because I think there's two sides to this, Andrew. There's how should you be and how do does it really happen? And I have a whole chapter in my book around this, around it's not fair. Because 
this is not a slam, but the fact is most hiring managers are not trained to interview. I ask my executive students every year, I get a new class, how many people have hired? Everybody. How many people have had eight hours at least of training in hiring or interviewing and recruiting? No one. So, so what you're asking is a great question. What should they be looking for, but what do they look for? And I think what we, we find, and this is a challenge for switchers, is that hiring managers look for for matches. So I, I need somebody who has 10 years of sales experience for this role, when in fact you could have been the worst salesperson ever, but you have that, that box ticked. Um, you know, they also look for referrals. And I think this is this is a good and a bad. I mean, I will be the first to tell you referrals are the number one way to get hired in a company. And there's a lot of data and research on the fact that referrals tend to stay longer, referrals tend to contribute more. And, you know, you can read all the, the data and that, you know, 70 percent of the jobs aren't posted. So referrals in a lot of ways are the only way to get that job. And that can be really helpful because maybe some of the technical skills can be learned and the intangibles like you were mentioning before are really the keys to getting things done but flip side of that is sometimes managers just hire someone they like and right. you know they make a decision based on their gut which is you know this even though they're not really cognizant of this they're saying well this person is like me and i like me and i'm successful so this person will be so i think one of the things we need to do in hiring is really shift this. Maybe, you know, some companies that are doing it well have panels of people hiring. So they have multiple perspectives because what happens in these situations is that this is where the bias creeps in, whether it's age bias or gender or race or all these other things, because you can tell by the, you know, hiring somebody like me, how you can certainly create a, a an exclusionary hiring process. How, so, so how do so 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 the panel is one way. How do how do you identify like a a, a good leadership like good leadership skills? Mm -hmm. So, so there is an aspect of um, you know not matching per se, but past behavior will be a part of what indicates future behavior. So, you know, looking at somebody who's taken initiative, looking at somebody who has raise their hand for committees or raise their hand to take on new work or looking at somebody who has gone outside to get certifications or education. Um, but it's not so much what they get that in. It's the fact that they're continuously looking to grow and learn and develop. Somebody who takes feedback well is another indicator of a good future leader. Somebody who, um, you know, has has a good set of skills for influencing. We often think of influencing. Most people use data to influence, but that's only one of many tools you can use to influence. You can certainly use power if you have it. And you can certainly use emotion. Some people use storytelling, but I think the people who are best at influencing have a menu of different strategies and can read the room and their audience and know which of those influencing strategies is going to be most helpful in the situation. So what you're saying is that there's really a, there, there's almost like a pattern of behavior, a pattern of, of different types of behavior, whether it's essentially taking initiative to take on new projects, it's, you know, forming relationships, taking feedback really well, that a combination of a, a pattern, if you will, a combination of this behavior might be a good leading indicator that the person could be a good future leader, is going to have great work ethic, he's going to be a, 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 a an ideal contributor, if you will? 
so it, it, it's interesting because there are millions of books on this and millions of books have different ideas about what makes a good leader. And, you know, I, I worked at Corn Ferry and, and they had different surveys around what makes the best leaders. But I think there's a lot of intangibles that we have to look at, too, which are, you know, are they a good fit for the, the organization? Do they believe in the mission? I think one of the things that trips people up a lot is ego. And it's a difficult, difficult thing to assess. But, you know, is someone able to put their ego aside for the good of the team or the good of the organization? And, you know, these things are sometimes much harder to measure in an interview and, and really can only be seen over time. I mean, who are their mentors? Who are their influencers? Who are they partnering with in the organization? Who are they branding themselves with? They're, humans are so complex that as much as we'd love to have this checkbox of, of skills, a lot of it will depend on context. A lot of it will depend on culture. And a lot of it will depend on things in the environment that are likely to shift and change. You know, I, I love what you're sharing there, right? Because it, it kind of goes back right to that moment that I always talk about on this show where 16 years ago, I thought I was going to be a front office intern and learn the business of sports. And here on my first day working for a minor league baseball team, they tell me to you know, put some old clothes in the locker room because I'd be helping the grounds crew pull the tarp on and off the field that whole summer. And I did probably 15, 20 times. And you do it in the rain and the wind and the mud. And it, it requires you to kind of take a different perspective and a different lens uh, on things, right? And you put aside the fact that, hey, here's what I think I'm here to do. And here's what in the moment, in a weird way, is needed. You know, the, the major league grounds crews have 20, 25 people on a crew. In the minor leagues, you know, you might have five, six, or seven. So you need extra hands. Uh, so it, in many ways, that's shaped my entire career and outlook on how I approach things. And I know when I'm making hiring decisions, I'm looking for people who, you know, regardless of what their title is, are willing to do whatever it takes in the moment. You know, I, I had a, um, uh, a, another guest on this show a few weeks ago. He, he's a NASCAR pit crew coach, and he trains pit crews to, you know, change tires and add a can of fuel in, in time, in a time period that sounds almost impossible to, to a, a layman. And he has a saying that titles are for books and uh, that, you know, it doesn't matter what your title is. When you're in the moment, you, you've got to, you, you have to do what, what is necessary. And I know that, you know, I'm not sure if I was born this way or if, or if I, you know, I've certainly been shaped by, you know, a, a handful of events and things throughout my career, but I'm, I'm curious and wondering, do you, do, are, do you think people are born with great work ethic and great leadership ability, or is it something that they learn? I would say that it's, it's always a combination, but if I had to lean towards one side of the continuum, I would, I would lean towards the something you learn continuum, that, that something you're surrounded with in your upbringing, maybe the people you're surrounded with, wherever those people are. So I, I definitely think it's, it's something that comes from the environment and something that you can change. And what are, what are some ways, like what, what are some ways that you recommend, you know, your executive MBA students at Wharton that you work with, you know, obviously they're, they're, they're very bright students. You know, Wharton is one of the best, if not the best in the, uh, in the country. How do you recommend that they round out those, those more intangible areas, if you will, outside the classroom? So I think one of the things that's a lost 
art is the idea of self-reflection. Now that we carry a computer around in our hands and are never really disengaged because there's always something to pay attention to, we're basically training our brains to need need that stimulation. I mean, there was a point in time when I would be in an elevator and go up 20 floors and I had nothing to do because phones weren't invented yet. But now if you think about it, it's really, really difficult to sit and reflect or journal or meditate or to look at yourself and decide these are my values. These are my strengths. And so I think one of the the first things we do is really stress the importance of self-reflection, because if you don't know who you are, if you don't know what drives you, if you don't know what inspires you, then everything, everything's going to look like a shiny object and interesting and something you want to pursue and you have nothing to overlay it with. So I think one of the things I don't hear talked about enough is first getting to know yourself and what drives you and then taking that information and saying, now, where do I want to apply this? So, so, and, and, and how, and how do they take that next step in, in terms of applying it? Is it, is it conversations with mentors and others that they aspire to look like in terms of their career path? Yeah, it can be a number of things. Um, I encourage people to look at their goals and ask themselves, where do I get lost? Or where's that task when I'm having a bad day that I feel like, oh, I don't have energy anymore. So I'm going to do this because it's something that you actually like doing. So really paying attention to those things. I think clarity comes through action. So having conversations with others, it doesn't have to be a mentor. It's great if you have one, but um, I think more often people have what I call advisors, which are people who can give you insights and feedback and work with you, but aren't necessarily long-term mentors and getting that feedback. Seeking out feedback is another skill that I think we all need to get better at because humans don't like to to be in conflict and they don't like to necessarily give somebody bad information. So I think we have to proactively seek it out in in a way and say, hey, I'm going to be doing this presentation. One thing I'm working on right now is projection. So I wonder if you'd sit in the back of the room and critique me on this. So doing this more and more so that they can evolve and learn how they're showing up and how others are perceiving them and how they can improve. And it obviously makes a difference what your goal is, right? Because people can give you feedback that really has nothing to do with your goal or isn't um, you know, something you're trying to work on. And that's, again, where the self-reflection comes in. You need to know what you want to be better at. Otherwise, everything will seem important and you won't be able to prioritize your time. Well, Dr. Dawn, that is uh, some, some great insight. Before I let you go, I, I, I want to talk a little bit about your book um, so our viewers and listeners you know, can, uh, can uh, go get a copy and, and learn a little bit more. What inspired you to write Switchers? So I've always wanted to write a book, and I didn't want to clutter the shelf with a, another book that is already out there. There are tons of great career books, and... There are tons of great books around figuring out what you want to do. So what is what, you know, exploration, but there wasn't a book that actually taught people once they figured out what they wanted to do, how to do that as a career switcher. So the book combines my background as a corporate recruiter, a career coach, a licensed psychologist into a book that helps people who are looking to make a major pivot to skip all of the the online 
ATS, applicant tracking system bias, and get around those broken processes so they can get in front of the hiring manager and get hired. So that's that was my premise for the book. It didn't exist on the shelf, and I wanted to contribute something that was needed. And the good news is that in the role that um, or in the world we're in right now with COVID, these strategies are incredibly helpful, regardless of whether you're making a switch, because the competition is so high. These strategies help you get around that competition and in front of the decision makers. Wow. Well, Dr. Dong Graham, this has been so much fun. I know I've learned so uh, so much. So thank you for joining Everybody Pulls the Tarp. Yes, thank you, Andrew. Appreciate being here. And, and to our listeners and viewers, thank you for joining me for this week's episode of Everybody Pulls the Tarp. Each week, you can find my conversations with CEOs, Olympians, pro athletes, elite coaches, best-selling authors, and other inspirational people like Dr. Dong Graham on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you stream your podcasts. Of course, you can follow me on Instagram at andrewmoses123 and catch all of our content at www.everybodypullsthetarp.com. Thank you for joining Everybody Pulls the Tarp. We'll see you all next week.